0: Hello and welcome to the Fish Nerds Podcast, the show about fish, fishing and eating fish. I'm Clay Groves, Chief Executive Fish Nerd, Licensed Fishing Guide and your host. I'm super happy to be here with me today. I have the one, the only, the Canadian, Andrew Lewin, host, founder, self-proclaimed oceanpreneur, uh, owner of Speak Up for Blue Podcast, the uh, podcast designed to show you how to live for a better ocean Andrew, welcome to the podcast. Welcome back to the podcast.
1: Thank you. I think this is like my third time on the podcast. I'm becoming a regular. I feel
0: well. Whenever I awesome. get stuck, I know you know. <laughs> if I, I think about who, what's the one person I can call to <laughs> talk about any topic for an hour? It's yeah, you. <laughs> That's true. That is true. Yeah. So you're the, you're my person on that in that front. And I was actually this when I when I set this whole thing up, I was feeling what I call podcast depression. Yeah. I mean, this is 197th episode, man. That is so close to 200. You're, I know you're an old hat. You're 500 off something crazy like that.
1: I'm, I'm approaching. I'm still 40 off from 500. Yeah. Well, th-
0: three shows a week get you there fast. Oh, it and, does. Yeah. <laughs> and so, and, But you get there and you're like, oh, my God, I'm almost at 200 oh, yeah. and I'm broke. How am I not rich from podcasting? <laughs> <laughs> so, they, they, they sold you the wrong dream. They sold us all the wrong dream. I know. See? So <laughs> Podcasting is not the uh, get rich quick scheme, it is the get no. poor slow scheme. Uh, you know, For sure. What's 40 bucks a month? Uh, so, <laughs> anyway, welcome to the show. Uh, tonight Thanks. on the show, we're going to answer the age old question uh, is catching and releasing fish cruel and unusual punishment? You know, does that like. Is that horrible for the fish? Should we just catch and kill them and just let them go of all that pressure? Uh, We're also going to talk about ocean conservation because, Andrew, you're here. Uh, We have some news and, of course, much, much more. So we have a lot going on tonight, and we're going to get to it all uh, right after a word from our sponsors because we do want to make a little bit of money on this show. And uh, actually, my first sponsor doesn't pay me because it is me. Uh, This episode is brought to you by me, the Fish Nerds Guide Service. Speaking of which, we're going to talk about guide services in uh, Louisiana tonight, aren't we?
1: Yes, we are. Yeah. Right. Uh, Anyway, that's right.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Fish Nerds Guide Service. We're here to bring you and your family on a guided fishing trip on a state-of-the-art brand new pontoon boat. That's right. I said pontoon boat. This is a comfortable but serious fishing machine to patrol for lake trout, salmon, cast for bass, or cruise into a cove and put the hurt on some perch and bass and panfish. Head to fishers.com for rates or give me a call at 603 986 4335. We're in the Mount Washington Valley, New Hampshire. Uh, one of the best places to visit in the whole United States. Uh, and we're the only guide service in the area that can bring your whole family fishing. Uh, if you don't fish, we can take you out on a guided cruise. And we just partnered with the local conservation commission, um, Tin Mountain Conservation, to offer guided nature cruises. So that's coming up um, all summer long. And all those cruises, uh, a portion of, of most of the funds will go to funding uh, conservation projects through Tin Mountain. So uh, we're doing that. Uh, we get publicity and uh, boat rides and learn about nature. It's been great. Uh, also, we're brought to you by Thirst Productions, which is a one-man digital media agency catering to small businesses by helping them improve their online presence from website and search engine optimization, SEO, social media and targeted advertising, website analytics and website maintenance, which helps businesses speak to customers more efficiently. Thirst Production also gives back to cold water, fishy conservation projects by working with select nonprofits at deeply reduced rates help them better share their message. So if you're a small business and you need a digital facelift, or you work with a nonprofit in need of a new online presence, get in touch with Rich at ThirstProductions.com. ThirstProductions.com. And if you want to give us your money uh, and advertise with the Fish Nerds, I'll give you a great deal. Email Clay at FishNerds.com and just make sure you're not selling garbage and we'll sell your stuff on our show.
1: (laughs) Especially garbage for the ocean. That's right. Layers. Yeah, if
0: you're a plastic straw company, get the yeah. hell off. Get them. out. Get out. Yeah. I, hi, I'm a single-use <laughs> plastic company.
1: <laughs> Be like, no, thank you. Okay, sorry, we're poor, buddy. but we're not that. We're not that. I,
0: I sell grocery bags. Oh, wonderful. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> All right, hey, so let's, I'll tell
1: you that's a business: is to sell reusable bags to companies, sell pl- reusable plastic straws, like the metal ones that you drink, to companies and to restaurants.
0: Uh, you That'll know, awesome. we use paper straws at home, and mm-hmm. I'm—I was telling you off air. My metal straw, for, I have a metal, I have a, I have a uh, stainless steel iced coffee mug with a screw-on lid and a metal right. uh, straw in it, and it's having a second birthday this week. It's turning two. Uh, and so, one straw, two years old, and tonight it just bent, it just broke. <sighs> so I need to spend a dollar forty nine on a new one. So See, it's, it's economical, cheap. yeah, and it's good for the environment, and it's just a piece of metal. So it'll just—I'll yeah. throw it in the ground, and some kid will step on it and get jaw. But other than that, good for the environment.
1: As long as they don't get electrocuted, you're
0: fine. <laughs> That's right. no big you're deal. Okay.
1: Well, yeah. can I can I just say something before we start? Sure. Um, about plastic. So there's a there's a story going around. It's been annoying me. I keep seeing it. There's a story going around about this ocean cleanup project that. Uh, this kid in high school designed this this apparatus, this large apparatus that's apparently going to clean all the plastics out of the ocean. Oh, I saw this plastic. thing. Yeah, you, you've probably seen it. Anybody on Facebook has probably seen this. It's made the rounds. Now, this project, has been highly criticized by scientists, by marine debris and plastic scientists. They would screw those guys. Yeah, yeah, how dare they? They went for to college. <laughs> but for some reason, media outlets aren't taking those criticisms and putting in the stories. They're just saying, hey, this is a really good news story. This high school kid, or he's mm-hmm. no, not in high school. This high school kid has come up with this engineering project, and he's going to clean all the oceans. The problem is, is that one, it doesn't work. This is the third round, and it hasn't worked yet. And the only thing that has done is because it has nets within the three first, the, th- the first three meters of the ocean. It's actually probably taken animals and got them all caught up in the net. So it's probably killed more animals than it had, than plastic pollution <laughs> in that little area. Now, he's, now they're releasing it into the you know the Pacific garbage patch, uh, and and uh, and media outlets are like gobbling this up without any criticism, without any criticism. It's ridiculous.
0: It's it's really hard because the media just wants that sense. They do not want to dig deep, right? They no, want that. No. They,
1: they want they, a they, good news story.
0: Yeah, and it sounds great, you know? Right. And, and, of course, everyone wants to think when they had their straws or their plastic bags that they're not hurting anything. Right. And, of course, it's fine. Now they've got a machine cleaning up our crap, so who cares? Mm-hmm. But then, like, what happens? They clean all that crap up. They bring it to a landfill and dump it again, and it gets back to the ocean. <laughs> like, like it. It gets, what are you doing? Well
1: the thing is too let's let's be honest here like plastic pollution is an epidemic it is not just in one spot where it's like big pieces this is like a soup that's in the ocean it's everywhere in the ocean it concentrates in these gyre systems but it's everywhere in the ocean so forget cleaning it up let's prevent it from going in and the problem is, is this media attention is taking away from the efforts of people who are trying to stop things from getting in. in well, have
0: way. you have you heard about? There's I've heard about a uh, a genetically modified uh, uh, caterpillar that can eat plastics, and yeah. you keep hearing about these little kind of like things. Yeah. yeah, and and people are putting all this hope in it. It's like planning yeah. to go into Mars and wreck our planet. It's not realistic. It's
1: well, let's let's not put a in, real solution. Let's let's make an animal in a lab and let's throw it into the ocean and let's see how we do. right how does that sound does that sound good sounds like a movie it's like let's take alien and let's try and get rid of predator by by bringing the aliens in and see how that goes
0: you know that's how it seems well historically um, putting animals in environments they don't belong in has always been good yeah, yeah, of course. Always turned out so perfectly, good. so good. You know, we we always we always win on that case, right? Yeah, I can't think of one example. Uh, Not one. that one hasn't turned out perfectly uh, <laughs> every time. Ask the fish
1: farms out, in, in ask the people who love fish farms out in, in uh, salmon country oh, and yeah. BC. They love fish farms out there.
0: I hear they're shutting them all down. Is that true?
1: They're trying. Yeah. They're trying. It's because of a, there's this major disease that's been discovered in the pens that are getting out to the ocean and affecting the coho salmon, um, and of course those you know those populations are going up and down. Plus, you have invasive species uh, that you know they get released by accident uh, that goes in. But there's such a, a focus on the economy there, and they're good for the economy apparently. And so it's a big battle. I think in the long run they'll get shut down. And they'll be put all instead of being an open pen just put it all into a, one big building.
0: Yeah. Wow. I mean, in, inland pan, pens almost make sense. You know, I think they, yeah. they have them in the ocean, you know, and that's, that's where the whole thing, you know, funny kind of just, uh, this is way off what we're going to talk about, but yeah, sorry, but I you. was in a fly fishing shop the other day mm-hmm. and uh, a guy walks in and we, in New Hampshire, we only have um, one native river trout, which is the brook trout, right? Okay. And a guy comes in, I said, what are you fishing for? And he goes, oh, I'm, I'm catching brown trout, wild brown trout. I hmm. said, so they're invasive. No, they're naturalized uh, natives. Oh, I love that. Well, and I said, what's that mean? He goes, well, they've been here long enough and they're valuable to the ecosystem. And so they're naturalized. They've been, they're natives. And I said, okay, so largemouth bass, they've been here since 1884. Yeah. How do you like those guys? I hate those invasive species. (laughs) Okay. How about carp? Same thing. How about, like, I'm like, this list of fish. Um, So, why are brown trout special? Yeah. Well, they're because they're trout and he fly fishes.
1: (laughs) So, that's it. I see an analogy to human beings in different cultures, right? Sure. Right there. Can yeah. you imagine like the first nations coming over that we come over like, oh no, no, we're not we're
0: introduced, but we're naturalized. Right? I've been here three generations. I've been here Therefore, three generations. I'm a native. Right, That's yeah, what we're saying you're like, oh, yeah. they've been here. For, they've been here for twenty for 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 four years. Yeah, well, yeah, great. All right. <laughs> so they had babies. there they're natives. <laughs> they're for their natives. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's how it works. Yeah, we're but being
1: sarcastic the, for people just to let you know, it's just if you don't get it, we're being very sarcastic.
0: Yeah. So, but the, the guy I was talking to could not connect with my point. Yeah, I'm yeah. like, I'm like, I think. That if they're reproducing in the rivers, which our rivers up here have almost nothing in them. They're just cold water rivers with very little fish, uh, very few native fishes. And I think if they're reproducing, that's a problem for the native brook trout. Yes. And all the trout communities don't agree with me. Yeah. They disagree yeah, think, and like, "Well, I don't see a difference between those guys in the bass." I mean, it's, Yeah. Along they here, they're reproducing here and they're yeah. also eating other fish. So Well,
1: and brookies are sensitive too, aren't they? They're pretty sensitive species,
0: like I'm I saying. don't know. I mean, Farm. eight states have them as yeah. their state fish, including New Jersey. If they can make right. it in New Jersey, they can make it anywhere. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so true. So we have them here in Ontario, but we're very careful with them because uh, if you see them they, like it, basically I guess if you see them uh, it's a very healthy system. The water quality is very healthy because yeah, they're, but
0: they're they're known for living in, in clean water, whereas clean, like, cold water, yeah, yeah, like rainbow trout can handle some pretty murky stuff, right? Atlantic salmon can live in some murky waters. Right. Brown yeah. trout—they're from—they're uh, native to Germany, yeah. So uh, I don't know much about rivers in Germany, but I no, think they're pretty pretty powerful fish. Yeah, I would imagine yeah, And it so. can handle some stuff. But yeah, but yeah, but brook trout are a char, just like a, uh, just like a char, and just like, just, a like, yeah. <laughs> just like a lake trout. And those guys are all very sensitive fish. Yes. And, and so we should be looking out for them. And I think brown trout reproducing where they don't belong. Not
1: good. Not good. I, I don't no, think, it doesn't help.
0: It just doesn't help, right? Yeah. Well, help. I, well, I mean, I have a weird feeling about this whole thing about fish. And look, they've been here for a long time. Do we, with with invasive species in general, do we go after them or do we like step back and Mm. see if things balance a little bit? Because you can't win a lot of these fights. Mm -hmm. That's it.
1: Well, that's the the thing, right? Like you get, uh, I mean, think about how Asian carp came over. You know, Asian carp came over because people in Mississippi wanted to get algae off their their aquaculture nets Mm -hmm. and Asian carp eat everything. So like, let's bring those over because nothing bad will happen nothing ever that. bad happens yeah no and, bring those <laughs> over. And, and then after a while then people are like well now we have them everywhere so what are we going you know, well, to do now
0: you make youtube movies. videos you drive your boat down the river yeah. and watch them jump out of the water yeah. smack you in yeah. the face it's it's a whole industry
1: yeah and, and, <laughs> and it is it is and people like to catch them because they're big right they may not love to eat them but they love to catch them because they're a fight are they not I uh, I've never caught one, but all,
0: um, but, but any big fish is fun to catch.
1: Right. It's fun yeah. to catch. But then you got here in Canada, we're spending like $20 million over three years to keep them out of the great lakes because we know they're going to like just change our entire system. Right. So it's, 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 it's a very, it's a very ethical sort of concept that, that goes back and forth is because we do have a lot of naturalized species in fresh waters in, <laughs> in North America. I mean, we do. We, we have it. And, and, and so after a while, people are just like, well, it's naturalized. We're never going to get rid of them. And now they're part of the system. And if we take them out, the system will change again. And, and then, but then you have new invasives that are coming in constantly and you're trying to control for them. So it's like, what do we, you know, where's the line after a while? You know, maybe there's have, not one. Maybe there's not. Yeah, exactly. I think it just depends on how they're managed, how they're perceived by the public, and how the government will actually manage that based on that perception.
0: Yeah. And, they, and the government always gets it right, also. Uh, always.
1: Always, because no. <laughs> they think long term. Always, right? yeah.
0: <laughs>
1: long term thinkers. These All right.
0: Guys. Yeah. So we're gonna move on here. The yeah. question we're asking today, and I put this up on Facebook the other day. Yeah. I and see. I asked, is is catch and releasing a fish mean? Right. Mm. Uh, the title of the article we're based on. The, the title is actually "Catch and Release Fishing: uh, Cruel and Unusual Punishment?" Question mark by John. Uh Meyer from Alaska Outdoors. This was actually published in 2016, so it's a few years old. Mm-hmm. I've seen it before, but I like to share it every once in a while because it gets people talking about catch and release. And and this is an important to talk about because a lot of like hardcore fishers yeah. will say, I never keep a fish ever. I always catch and release. Uh, you know, I and and uh this is kind of contrary to that. And it starts off um uh this is I'm going to read it. Part of it. I'm a fisherman. I've been chasing fish since I could first carry an old bait casting rig. One of my first fishing memories is landing a silver salmon near the mouth of Peter's Creek. I hooked him and just started backing up until the fish came flopping on the bank. I'm not going to say I played that salmon. Popular author John McPhee would come unglued to hear that word. There's no play in catching a fish. Uh, McPhee writes, "You are the best. You are at best torturing." Uh, and, at worst, killing a creature you may or may not eat, playing at one end, dying at the other, if playing uh, is what that is it 's sadism, so that 's kind of where we 're mm-hmm. going here uh, and and their author goes on and says that he what he does is he goes out and he catches and eats the fish, right not right. for fun but hmm. for the intent to catch and eat uh, right. catch and release is a confusing concept because it concerns. Only the intent of the fisherman to be fishing for food and letting a 12-inch lake trout go because it's too small or gently unhooking a 20-pound female so she can produce thousands of fry is not mm-hmm. the same as angling with no intent to keep the fish for food. Releasing a fish uh, too small or too large is selective harvest. So that's where he's going. He's like, you should catch fish if you're going to eat them. Yeah. So uh, it goes on for a long time, and and I'll put a link up at fishners.com. So mm-hmm. and, but he goes on and on about how... It's basically torture to catch a fish and and let it go. And so on the poll on Facebook, uh, most people said it's not torture to catch and release a fish. And I think you were in that in that nope group, right?
1: Yeah, you know what? I, I had to think about it though for a while. Yeah, you know because it's it's interesting, and and I've seen these articles. Now I'm not an expert in this at all, but you know there have been studies saying that fish do feel pain right for a while you know people you know people never treated fish and say mammals that are hunted on land the same right and and uh, of course when you look at the difference you know you look at hunting for food versus hunting for like trophy hunting you know there's a, there's a very big divide in how people think sure. uh, but when you look at catch and release you know a lot of catch release when you talk about if they're not big enough or they don't meet sort of government standards of where you can keep them you're supposed to release them right uh, so that they can go back in I, with the in, with i guess the intent is they will stay alive if you release them right, right. so you have to release them properly so i would imagine first time anglers like myself would not be as skilled in taking out hooks as say someone like yourself
0: well wow. that would,
1: that would <laughs> You know, be able to do it. And of course it all depends on where it's caught and, and everything like that, right? Well, there's
0: so many variables in releasing a fish safety, right, right. right? So I can give you an example. So like we we caught a lake trout this winter and it the way it attacked the bait was more aggressive than normal. So it gill hooked itself. Mm. We were you know there's no reason it should have gill hooked itself. Usually it's a perfect hook in the lip, but yeah. it got hooked in the gills. It was seventeen inches long. Wow. Seventeen. Keeper size is eighteen. The fish was bleeding everywhere. It was so much blood. So much blood that you knew you know for sure this trout's gonna die. Yeah. But legally we couldn't harvest that fish. So we released a dead animal back into the into the lake. Right. I mean it wasn't dead when we were holding it, but it you we know for sure this thing died (laughs) afterwards, right? For sure. Yeah. I think and, and and that's the hard one of the hard things. And the other thing is the author in this article goes on to say is like if you're hunting game and you shoot a deer and you don't kill it, but you know you hit it. that counts towards your bag limit that's that counts as a kill. But with fish, it doesn't if you right. or you catch and release it. um in New Hampshire, for example, we have a fly we have five trout limit, right? Five brook trout. Mm-hmm. But if you catch and release four brook trout, and then you can keep you can still keep five after that. He would be saying those four should count towards your bag. Gotcha, and that way you're not stressing the, the population. Gotcha, not killing yeah, all these things. Just
1: in case you kill the other four that you released, or maim them enough where they're weaker and they can't eat or they can't feed for themselves,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and like right? right. Now the other way, though, to think about it, uh, is the one. Say you do the, the example that you said you had it. It was Lake Trout, right? Where right. it was hooked and it was, it was bleeding a lot. The other the other aspect from a bi- from a biologist and ecologist point of view is if you put it back in and it does die other animals are going to eat it well so you're, you're feeding the population of that of that system right,
0: right but you can make that case for killing pandas too well i'm just feeding the other animals but pandas are warm and fuzzy clay you well have you met a can't. brook trout they're, they're so brook. cute i know they're but they're <laughs> not warm and
1: fuzzy they're not warm and fuzzy and again it goes to that perception of they're warm and cuddly and cute uh and then compared to like a brook trout, which is slimy and and nobody wants to touch it, other than, hmm. than people who fish and and ecologists, right? And so, and I'm not saying it's right, you know, because I right. do. There are there are some fish that are pretty cute looking. You don't want to harm them, um, but there it is that that kind of thing. But I don't know. Like <clears throat> it, it's a tough situation. You have to follow the law because if not, you 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 know you get dinged if they if they catch you. Right. Uh, but then it's true. It's a little bit of um. You know, it's it's a little bit of a problem. But now let's let's look at another example. Go, let's go to saltwater, and in Florida, they've shown that uh, researchers have shown that um, if you hook a hammerhead shark, it's actually easier to just cut the line. It's safer for the shark to cut the line and leave the hook in and let it rust out than it is to fight it, bring it on board, take the hook out, and release it because the stress that it goes through with that fight could kill it.
0: That's right. true, um, by the way, with all fish. You're better but, off cutting the line. You
1: know? Right. Yeah. And a lot of but a lot of people don't think that so they actually that's why they got it protected because the stress for that hammerhead shark is so brutal that it will die after there's, there's a high chance that it will die after that fight. So
0: they're an especially
1: sensitive fish. Especially
0: sensitive. Yeah. yeah. So with Atlantic salmon in New Hampshire, if you catch one through the ice, the the Not the rule, but the recommended. (laughs) This is one of those kind of, the the state recommends you cut the line without ever removing the fish from the water for the same reason. Because they they think cutting, taking it out, unhooking it is too stressful for the fishes. Yeah. Um, It's it's something to do. And whenever I read these kind of articles, first of all, it's really hard, really hard not to uh, anthropomorphize the animal. It's really hard not to put your own emotions in there because we're human and empathy is part of what we do. But whenever I read these things, I, even though I disagree with probably 90% of the assertion of this mm-hmm. whole thing, mm-hmm. I always, when I, the next question I catch, I'm just a little bit kinder to. Yeah, <laughs> I'm still going to catch them. I hear uh, you. But I'm just a little bit maybe more thoughtful. If I'm going to kill it, I kill it faster. If I'm going right. to release it, I release it faster. You know what I mean? I don't yeah. take the time to take right. 25 photos. It's a quick shot, let it go. Yeah.
1: And I think that's, but I think that's a good thing. I mean, it kind of brings you just back to, cause I think we get sometimes when we do something <laughs> where we're dealing with animals and this can happen with from training a dog or dealing with an animal over and over and over again, you tend to lose that sensitivity to certain things and, or you, you, you start to get a little bit more uh, experimental in terms of like taking pictures with fish, knowing that hey, look, they're not breathing because they're out of water, so let's get them back in the water. So getting an article like this every once in a while kind of brings you back. And I think the same thing would be maybe for like trainers at a zoo or something like that. Maybe getting, you know reading an article that talks about sensitivity animals in captivity, whether it be orcas or it be anything else, you know, maybe they go back and look at it and be like, well, maybe we're not doing the right thing, or maybe I should do this as quickly as possible like I was trained to do, but I've kind of been leaving it on the wayside because it's not a huge deal. But then it kind of makes me feel like I feel bad for the (laughs) (laughs) animal.
0: We just need, we need reminders, you know, it's almost like maybe, maybe we need to do um, anthropomorphizing a little bit. Maybe it's not a bad thing.
1: It's it's not bad to feel something for an animal, even if you're catching it. Right. You know what I mean? I think, I think, uh, you know, I don't know uh, within like the, the recreational community, if, if it's, if it's a pride thing or something like that, you know, catching something or trying to deal with the, certain parts i know some fishers that are just like yeah i just do it if i have to kill it i'll just i'll just bang it on the head as fast as possible to get it out and do it even though it's brutal it's what i do it's it's the fastest way to do it it may look insensitive but it's actually quite sensitive you know or to put it back as soon as possible i'll do as soon as possible it may look like i'm throwing the fish back in but
0: right well and you have the you have the two kinds of of, I, I think there's two kinds of out, of hunters and fishermen and there's right. fish people. There's the, the Ted Nugent crowd, right? <laughs> <I love it. laughs> I'm, I'm going to kill everything as, as mean as I can because yeah. I can. And I got machine guns. <laughs> and then there's the people who are like, yeah, I'm going to kill the things, but I'm going to be thoughtful and sensitive when I do it. Yeah. You know, and and is that too? It's like macho, macho, macho for sure. And then there's like, let's be thoughtful about it. And the and the Ted Nugent crowd would, uh, I catch a fish I don't like because I think it's bad for the environment. I'm gonna throw it on the river bank and let it die. Yeah. And and those are those guys who I don't mm-hmm. like, or the guys who feel like they need to catch their catch their limit every time they fish. Yes. You know, I if the limit's five fish, I need to kill five things.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You
0: know, and then there's the guys like me who, I, I usually. Torture and release. That's usually my go to. Uh, <laughs> but uh, once in a while, I will kill a fish, but I, I never keep a limit.
1: Right. I,
0: I, I don't feel a need to fill to up go my freezer.
1: Yeah. 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 Plus,
0: fishing is easy. So why mm-hmm. store fish? Just catch a fish when you want to eat it.
1: <laughs> yeah, for it. sure. Well, I remember yeah. I did, a friend of mine and I, we were in Halifax. He came to visit me when I was at school, and uh, we went out deep sea fishing. And, you know, we're not we're not fishermen by any means recreationally or commercially, you know, I learn about it, but I've, I, I've done it very little uh, in my life. And we go out and, and we're catching like fish were left, right and center. But then like, he's like, Oh, do you want to take all these home? And I'm like, no, like, what am I going to do with 10 fish? Like I, <laughs> I, I, I can't, I don't even have the room for it. And they're like, right. Oh, he's like, well, people just bring it home. But I'm like, but I'm not going to eat it. What's the point? So I never took any home just, Because and I gave them to other people because they wanted to take them home. Um, but it was just weird like to say that yeah, we're just gonna catch as many as we can. Uh you know, if I were to do it again, I would catch like maybe one or two and then just watch other people fish and and, you know, and 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 do it that way. But that's just me personally, because I'm like, I'm not keeping these. I don't wanna, you know, I'll release them as, as fast as possible.
0: Well, it's funny, I hear I hear that I go mackerel fishing on charter boats with a bunch of kids. And nice, you're catching fifty, sixty, eighty fish on, a, on a, right. in, a, in an hour. Like it's just there's so yeah. many mackerel out there, and the, the the ship wants you to put them in these buckets, and then they sell them as bait later on. Right. But the kids and I are just catching them and shaking them off the hooks and letting them go. And they're like, what are you doing? Like, well, we're not going to eat them, and we don't yeah. want to kill them. So. Yeah. Yeah, I guess
1: that's the revenue source for them, but it's, it's like a bonus, but yeah, least, I mean,
0: we, I mean, we paid. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, exactly. I, I mean, at least they, they, they make something of it if they do end up killing it, but
0: sure. I mean, they're, and they're eating. only mackerel, Yeah, which, which mackerel. by the way, if you're talking about sustainable eating, eat the fricking mackerel, like they're, yeah. d- they're delicious and they're sustainable. Yeah. like it's, it goes back because they're selling them for bait to catch fish that aren't sustainable. Right. <laughs> it's just the right. strangest. Know, for
1: sure. For sure. Yeah. You know, yeah, I'm working actually on a uh on a story for seafood fraud that which seafood I'm going to have to Yeah, cuz there's awesome. apparently in Toronto uh and Ottawa, they they did a study. Oceana did a study here and they noticed that 48% of the fish that was bought was not the fish you were thought you were buying.
0: Yeah, I've heard numbers like that and it's not surprising and the truth is, is most people don't even care. But it's, but imagine though you do and I do. Well, yeah, right.
1: but imagine as a customer you're buying you think you're buying red snapper, but it's tilapia.
0: Right. And and, That's like and a big difference in price. It is a big difference. And you told they're totally ripping people off. Yeah. But the truth is is most North Americans don't even know the difference. No. no. And and all they know is they don't want fish that tastes like fish. They want yeah. white, flaky stuff that tastes like whatever seasoning you put on it. Yeah.
1: And a lot of that is tilapia.
0: (laughs) Tilapia or or any variation of scrod. You know, it's any kind of white fish you can get. Oh, Um, for sure. For sure. Yeah, Yeah, so I'm working on the story, so I'll come back and talk about that. I I would love to have you back on for that. Yeah, Um, that'd be fun. All right, let's move forward. So you can read this article. uh, If you're not already part of the Fish Nerds, uh, podcast group on Facebook. That's where most of the action is. Get there. Be part of these conversations and we'll include you in it. Um, That's where this this conversation happened. And I think three or four scientists chimed in on this one and, and it became very interesting. Uh, I got accused of not taking it seriously, which is accurate. Um, and... <laughs> Because I was making jokes while everyone else is talking serious science uh, because that's what I do when I'm defensive and don't speak science. Oh, I love it. So, <laughs> all right. You want to talk about Louisiana? You just got back yeah. from Louisiana. I love I Louisiana, did. and we have listeners in Louisiana, a lot of them. That's awesome. Uh, I, and I keep getting invited to go fishing, and I just have oh, to get down there. It, it's um, a fishing haven. Yeah, my, fishing? For the big fish down there, what's what's the big fish down there? The, the big game fish in Louisiana. Like fresh water or salt water? Salt so water. It's in the Ooh. marshes. That's a good question. I don't It's know. The, the red drum, the red fish. Oh, the red the Yeah, the it's redfish. The fresh that's, fresh, that's the one, fresh, the one that everyone is chasing. Yeah. Delicious. they're delicious. They taste like white flaky fish. <laughs> yeah, it sold, it's
1: sold everywhere. It is sold everywhere. You know like that? When you ask for fish, it's usually redfish. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I went down there. Like I, I, you know, what's what's funny is uh, I went down there recently in March uh, for a science communi- an ocean science communication, what we called an event, uh, and it was a really cool thing that was that was surrounding it. One, it was cool because it was at this institute called Lumcon. It's the Louisiana University. That? Lumcod. Lumcon.
0: Lumcon.
1: L U M. L U M C O N. So it all stands right. for the Louisiana University's Marine Consortium and it's what it is it's an it's a marine institute, marine science institute that represents it's it's owned by the state government but it it it's partly owned by all the universities that are in colleges that are in uh, that are in Louisiana. And uh, so it's it's interesting there we had there because that was my first job coming out of the university. I went from Toronto to Louisiana, like southern Louisiana. Uh, not knowing what I was getting myself into, and then on a boat, living on a boat, basically in the Gulf of Mexico. For That's so eight cool. Eight months. It was one of the, still to this day, probably one of the best jobs I've ever had. I mean, waking to go to bed in Louisiana and to wake up in like Key West or Panama City or the Corpus Christi or
0: anywhere. You know, Whenever where, you got to uh, Panama City, did you sing? Um, <laughs> did you sing David Lee Roth, David <laughs> Lee Roth songs? <laughs> Panama. <Yeah. laughs> Yeah. There was that
1: joke that went around. I, I would yeah.
0: not be able to help myself. And I hate that's
1: <laughs> yeah. well, one thing that was interesting is I went into a... Um, we got This is right after 9-11. This is 2002. Ah. And we went into a, a, a Marine base, like a, a Navy base in Mobile, Alabama. And the USS Cole was stored there after it got blown up, right? And, and it was blown up in the Caribbean. And it got brought over. Now, I've never seen a battleship in person. These things are massive. We used and to the play whole, them as kids, yeah. Oh, yeah. And the hole in the USS Cole was just absolutely massive. So we're in there. We're about to pick up some some uh, reserve Navy SEALs, which these guys are badass like unbelievable uh and then researchers for the navy and and the air force not and so badass they're not well they are badass because they've all been in the army <laughs> that's or true
0: been or <laughs> more been badass than us that's for sure
1: yeah like one of the guys i was talking to he was in the first kuwait war like, or the first iraq war he was on the border of kuwait and iraq like can see the enemy right there i was like wow yeah. um but anyway so we get in we're we get into the harbor and um you know, on the, they come up on the radio, it's like, you know, who is this? It's the RV Pelican, you know, and they're like, do you have any foreigners on board? And they said, no. <laughs> like, you're a foreigner. I was on the bridge. I am like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm Canadian. I'm considered foreign. And they're like, oh, that won't be a big deal. I'm like, you better radio in because if they find out, I'm like, especially after everything that's happened, I do not want to get into trouble. And of course, they radio in, they're like, we're coming aboard. And they had these like little, I'm going to call them Zodiacs, but they were not Zodiacs. They were like, crazy souped up Zodiacs with a massive machine gun on the front and they came aboard and they questioned me for about an hour. I've never been so close to dirtying my pants.
0: Right. And you're like, I'm sorry. What are you talking about? <laughs> what are you talking <laughs>
1: about? I put on my best Canadian
0: accent. Yeah.
1: You know, like ally, ally, ally here. Yeah. Um, just be as friendly outside. as you can. You know? Well, the, yeah. Well, the guy kept saying, you look nervous. I'm like, I've, he had this big machine gun. Like, like of course I'm, I'm nervous. You can, like, a- I've never seen a handgun, yeah. let alone a big machine gun in person before the closest <laughs> I've seen, I joke. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, I, I, you know, I don't know. Anyway, so <laughs> everything ended up being fine. I, I went out and took a nap because I was so stressed out. Uh, and then everything went fine. But, but Louisiana was great uh, and, and living there. So going back there to LUMCON to do this event was, was amazing. And this event was put on by uh, the executive director, Dr. Craig McLean, who owns com, And he, uh, in his fashion, in his fun fashion, he's like, I want you guys to come to LUMCON, come to Louisiana for this ocean science communication thing. And we're like, oh, great. What's it going to be about? I'm not going to tell you. Oh, like, <laughs> but, but you're going to fly down here and get a passport. Yeah. Yeah. He said, all you have to do is get yourself here. We'll pick you up from the airport. We'll take care of food. We'll take care of housing because there's dorm rooms and everything. Everything is going to be taken care of. We're like, okay. Let's sure. go. Yeah. So we go down there and he we have this big reveal and, and it ended up being we're going to talk about the optimism surrounding Louisiana coastal loss, southern Louisiana coastal loss. Now, if you look at the maps, and I should probably send you some of the maps. If you look at the maps, like comparing like 1932 southern Louisiana to present day or 2011, which is the map that I have, it looks like they lost about 90% of their land. And that includes marshlands, that includes swamps, that includes lands. When we went down there, we did a bunch of videos, we did a bunch of products. I did a whole season for my podcast, was the first season I did. I interviewed a number of different people, from politicians to fishers to scientists and all sorts of people to, to tribal people. It was, it was amazing to get their different sort of level of optimism. Um, some had none, some had a lot. Uh, it was surrounding this coastal loss because people were losing their land. Um, and especially when you look at the tribal communities losing their land, like it was just insane, but I'll go into that in, in, in a bit, but um, there are all these different projects going on. And we put out some really cool stuff that that's slowly coming out and I'll send you some links once I, once I get them and stuff. But um, you know, we, I was interviewing this guy, Carl, who's a fisherman and He grew up in Louisiana. His, his, he's like a third or fourth generation fisherman. And he was saying that we were out in a bay, this Terrebonne Bay. We were out in a bay. There is no land surrounding us. It's all water. Beautiful water, all water. He points over to the, to, the, to the right, and he says, "Out there is where my granddaddy used to take the horse and buggy and come out to the Barrier Islands." And it's all gone. It's underwater. Well underwater. Like I'm talking about like 20, 30 feet of water. Gone. And I'm just like, yeah, you're joking. Like, it's not there. There's nothing there. And he's like, no, there's there. And we looked at the maps after. And it's like, sure enough, there was plenty of land to go all the way out to the barrier islands. The barrier islands used to be 30, 40 feet high. And now they're gone. A lot of them. Right. Like, it's, it's the change is unreal. And, you know, all oh, of is that
0: are, because they have ruined the habitats, got rid of the marshlands, filled in the swamps?
1: Yes. All of those. All See, of the, I'm above. not a
0: scientist and I know stuff.
1: Well, yeah, no, it is. And it's, and it's, it's a combination of habitat degradation and, and coastal development, but it's also one of the biggest things was when they diverted the Mississippi river, right? So the Mississippi river used to, used to, uh, empty right into that area. And so they were, you know, the Mississippi obviously is a huge river and it used to empty all the sediment into that area. So it used to, it, whatever got eroded away by the ocean we fill back we, in, replenish. We, yeah, with the sediment that comes in. Then they decide, no, no, we're going to take the Mississippi and we're going to put it through New Orleans because New Orleans is our big city. That's the one that's going to grow, and we want all the industry and all the transportation to go through New Orleans. So the, now all the sediment just goes out to the Gulf of Mexico and onto the shelf, right? And now produces one of the biggest hypoxia zones in the world. All right. So um, for
0: us, non signed hypoxia. Hypoxia is basically an area
1: at the bottom of the ocean that it has. Little to no oxygen. So think about the dead the, zones. Yeah, the dead zone, the bottom one point five meters. So that's what, just over three feet. Little, no, no, more than that. For about four four and a half feet. Sure. Um, that uh, has no oxygen. Basically dead. Right. And now this. So this area differs in size, but it can stretch all the way out to Texas. That's how powerful the Mississippi plume is, um, and it can go all the way to the continental shelf. You know, and, and each year it's different and you can measure the, the different patterns. And um, so, so you have that aspect. Uh, so that's one of the things. So you're not getting a replenishment of, of, of sediment. Then you have the de- habitat degradation from just development. You have oil and gas, which is a good and a bad thing down there. When I say good thing, it provides most of the jobs down there, right? Probably about 50, maybe even 60% of the jobs. So people rely on it, whether they work on the platforms or they work on the boats that supply the platforms or the helicopters that supply the platforms or the food that supply, you know, all that, all the, the accessory sort of industries that are built to.
0: And there's even, the there's even fishing industries built around the oil platforms, like well, yeah. fishing guides will go out there and that's where the big, yeah. the big fish, cobia and stuff like that are hanging out right around those yeah. kind of man-made reefs. You know, absolutely, because okay. the platforms
1: become the 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 habitat because they, you know, they they they're just basically that structure that allows fish to come in and hide and all that kind of stuff, and so it attracts bigger fish to eat. And it actually, they're actually quite beautiful habitats if you if you look at it from underneath. And the New Orleans Aquarium actually has a, a really cool habitat that has sort of like it's it's almost like an oil platform that's underneath, and it's it's really cool. Um, so yeah, do they, so do have, they, like
0: do they, every couple of years or so, they just like uh Beautiful. crack the oil open and kill everything and go see all uh, right just light on fire and we start over again and i was yeah. waiting for
1: that <laughs> <laughs> that would be interesting that would yeah. be interesting to have one entire tank it would just just saying every like five minutes an oil an oil spill happens
0: right, right. and then the, the clams open up and the muscles and they just kind of yeah pull, uh, slowly change back <laughs> oh <down. man.
1: laughs> um, that <laughs> would be interesting that would be an yeah. interesting take um but yeah, I mean, so so there would be a, it would be a
0: loser, money loser. There, no one would want to it. It would just depress everybody. Yeah, people so would
1: sad. be like, "Oh God, I drove yeah. here. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I want my forty-two, <laughs> bucks, oh, back. I want my 42 <laughs> bucks back. My forty-two bucks. Screw this aquarium." Yeah. Um, but yeah, so so uh, the oil and gas of what they the bad thing what they do I mean, uh, other than the the pollution that they cause. Um, but what they do is they cut canals into the swamps and into the marshlands to get out faster. And as the land changes, their canals change, so they continue to cut. And there's an environmental aspect to this, like a, a bad aspect, and there's also a cultural aspect because when we spoke to, when we went out there, you know, LUMCON, the staff were great because they gave us access to all these different people. Uh, and one of the benefits that we had was the uh, Portoche tribal community decided to invite all like 45 of us out there and gave us a huge meal like and and just spoiled us rotten and it was amazing uh and and, but they talked about how they are in legal battles with the oil and gas companies all the time because when they cut these canals they start to cut through cultural land right and they start to cut through like grave sites or like cultural like archaeological important sites and, and so they're in, and then what happens is the, the oil and gas companies sue them back saying you're, you know, we're, we're tr- should be treated as humans too. And you're imp- infringing on our rights to use this land, even though it's like a, a, a land that's, that's, that used to be part of, you know, the tribal community. Um, so anyway, so this is, this is, a this is another cause of this, of this loss of land. And then of course you have sea level rise. Which isn't helping anything. Uh, when sea level comes in and encroaches on marshlands, it basically just degrades the marshland slowly, and 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 that's what we're seeing. We're seeing all this all this combination of uh, cumulative impacts, and we're now we're basically Southern Louisiana has to build levee systems to put them in,
0: but the state can't afford the levee systems. Right, and that's why when we had the big hurricanes, that's why the floods came in it's because the natural barriers weren't in place anymore and the levees yeah. failed and entire wards became 20 feet underwater.
1: Yep. And the, of course the, and the, and the levees, which are expensive to maintain, weren't maintained properly. So a lot of them broke, you know, we keep always hearing levees you know, the levees broke, the levees broke and it, and it flooded most of New Orleans, most of Southern Louisiana. Um, and it was a terrible, terrible situation. Uh, and, and what was interesting too, is to get like, everybody's like, Oh, we got to build levees. We got to build levees in Southern Louisiana. But the state didn't have the money, so what did they do? They actually voted, the community voted to, put a, to increase the sales tax to pay for the levies. They, like. When was the last time
0: people voted to increase a tax? It's like, yeah. unheard of. So I got to tell you, I'm, I live in New Hampshire. Yeah. And we have no sales tax, no income tax. So we are very, we vote no on taxes most of the time. Right. Yeah, which is yeah. not always good, but no, no, I hear you. I hear you. Know. you. So, I, I yeah. it's very rare, but I, I think that's when people really see that value. They see like, oh shit, we're in trouble. Yeah, we got to pay for this stuff.
1: They're losing their land, and yeah. and the the Shane tribe has lost eighty percent of their land.
0: Yeah, well, it's not. You said slow. It's not slow. This is going it's fast. It's, it's going fast.
1: Is. Yeah. I mean, all the 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 thing that always got me was, you know, we keep hearing the the IPCC, the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change. They're always predicting sea level rise to go up, and and by twenty fifty, you're going to have, you know, you know, two millimeters or five millimeters or ten millimeters, depending where you are, increase in sea level rise, and everybody's like, well, let's worry about that when we get there. Right. This
0: is happening. too late. Yeah, this is happening. Well, it, it's if people don't understand what what that incremental change means. You know, if you're talking about but water temperatures rising, when you talk about global warming, one or two temp- degrees can wreck entire populations of fish, right? Yeah. One or two inches of, of, uh, of increase in sea level can wreck entire sections of these bayous or these, of these swamp areas. Like It, it means something. That's and awesome. people, they think two inches is no big deal or two degrees is no big deal, yeah. but it, no. it's kind of a big deal. Well it's not only a big
1: deal just on its own but when you look at the the habitat degradation and the alteration of the coast that makes it even worse. And I think that's what people don't realize is the constant change in their in our coastline whether it be natural erosion or human caused developmental changes we're seeing we're going to be seeing a lot more of a change a lot faster and I think that's what we're starting to realize especially with this this example of southern louisiana.
0: Yeah, I think you're right, and and by the way, thank you for making the show depressing. I appreciate that. Uh, <laughs> really, really makes it a lot more fun.
1: <laughs> I can go, I can go more depressing. I, I
0: know point. you can.
1: <laughs> but see now, think now, now talk about this. So yes, it's a depressing situation, and our task for this this ocean science communication thing was to look for the optimism, and mm. so that's what we did. We found optimism, and, and the optimism was in the people. Because they refuse to leave, like we're not leaving here. People are moving there because of the culture of Southern Louisiana, and so they are they are hell bound to to fi- figure out a
0: way. The culture of Southern, they like beads and boobs. Like, what is the culture? No. They, what am I missing? I've been there. No. <laughs> they, no no it's not new orleans new orleans is completely bourbon street culture <laughs> no not at all not at all,
1: all when right. you go in you get you get a, a variety of different uh, different cultures you get the acadian culture you get the the tribal culture uh, you get the cajun culture uh, and it's just it's swooped up into just great people who who love to live off the land uh love to fish you know, love their the recreational food, food, the food, food is fantastic. And, and the thing is like, that's the one thing that we were told, like when we go to this, to the, the, the sort of tribal dinner was look like food is, is culture to them. That's like, if you're polite, you will eat everything they give you, you know? And, and so that's not a problem for me. I eat everything anyway, but that's what they were basically saying. And, and, and just that, you know, the people are resilient. They've been living there for years and they keep, changing and they keep adapting but now we're getting into times where people are having to move Um, and that's what happened to one of the tribal areas where they built the levy system but they didn't have enough money to build it all the way to there or the politics got involved so now they have to move They're, they're on an island they have to move and they're moving like on a suburb to new orleans they're moving from like the country which is beautiful quiet very nature bound And then now they're living just outside of, 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 or they're going to be moving just outside of New Orleans in like a housing project. Like imagine that, like that's, that's sort of what we're looking at for the future in a lot of these coastal areas, especially when you're looking at like marshlands and swamplands and stuff like that. Um, but there is optimism. Like These people are like, no, no, we're not leaving. We're going to figure out a way to change. We're going to build more levee systems. We're going to make sure that we, we start restoring our marshlands. They're putting in now black mangroves, which apparently were native to Louisiana a while ago. There's just not a lot of them, but now they're, they're starting to think about actually planting more because they just seem to be a little bit more resilient in these types of situations. They're putting in more rules in terms of cutting canals and whatnot. So you're seeing changes slowly. But now they're starting to 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 quicken the pace a little Well, bit. they have to. They have to. Yeah. And that's the thing. It's just now that's like it's, it's a must. It's not just a, are we going to debate? They're not even, the climate change doesn't even come up in conversations. It's just like, let's just adapt. Like, let's just figure this out. Right. They don't care what you call it. They don't care what you call it. They <laughs> so, don't, they're not debating whether it's yeah. happening or not. It's happened. All this stuff has happened. They're not blaming anybody. They're not angry too much. They're just saying, how do we do that? Oh, there's anger. There's, there's, there's a lot of anger, but um, there's still a lot of hope and there's still a lot of optimism in that. And that's, that was the beauty of, of doing this project was to come up like, So one of the projects that somebody did, they just released it actually. It's called Bayou Women is to highlight the women who are sort of taking a leadership role in the Bayou to uh, adapt to these areas. There's a lot of politicians who are women who are really leading the way in terms of building these levee systems and making sure that the people are safe and all this kind of stuff. And um, it's, it's a really cool uh, kind of area to be in. It's, it's very dynamic, very resilient. Um, And, and some, some of them, Refer to themselves as really stubborn. They were like, "We're just not moving, but so we got to figure out a way to, to live here."
0: Well, that just makes them very American because we're all very stubborn. <laughs> I'm not leaving. You got to pry this bayou from my cold dead hands. Yeah, I'm not yeah. going anywhere. So
1: yeah, it's it's it, you know it's it's really interesting to to see. And of course, like the fishing is different there too. Commercial fishing. A lot of the um, Louisiana-born uh, fishermen are actually quitting shrimping because all the imports from the Asian countries are a lot cheaper and people are going for that. So they're not buying. Unless you go directly to the fisher, you cannot, you cannot get um, Gulf of Mexico shrimp for cheap anymore because it's just too expensive.
0: Well, it's, it's, it's like that everywhere too. Like in, New, in New England, lobster's getting expensive and it's mm-hmm. caught you know, right there. And, and mm-hmm. I don't know. It's always strange when you see like local foods cost more locally than they do if you're halfway across the country. It's crazy. Like locally,
1: organically raised, non medical food, like you know, is cheap is more expensive than it is to buy sort of factory farm food or or whatever it is. It's insane. But you, you have t- chickens.
0: I do. I was just thinking about chickens. I was in a. <laughs> I raised my own chickens. I was in a, and I was uh, the other day. I was saying I don't, I'm not going to meat birds this year, and it costs. I did the math on it. I think it was like forty dollars a bird. It cost right. raise my chickens to to eating size. Okay, and I was in a in a grocery store the other day, an organic grocery store, and their meat birds were thirty five dollars a bird. So they had it priced about right, um, yeah. you know, for volume. But I still couldn't. I I, I can never buy. I'm six dollars at the supermarket to buy a cooked bird. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so that's, you know that's kind of where my math is. I'm like, well, of I course, I'll yeah. buy a factory bird because yeah. Well, that's the thing. That? Right?
1: It's way more expensive to buy good for you bird than it is for bad for you bird
0: yeah but like, we do do chickens and we love our chickens uh, yeah i you know i keep
1: seeing i follow the stories i'm like what's chicken number one up to what are they uh, you know I,
0: I i am on the cusp like i've been toying with starting a chicken podcast that's how you much should. i love
1: chickens you should you know you yeah. and you and 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 rhett talbot should do chickens and ducks oh that's
0: that'd the be the, the worst podcast, podcast ever <laughs> Because it's the same one. I follow it every time. Yeah. Like, oh, coffee
1: with ducks this morning. And I'm like, oh, cool, ducks. (laughs) Yeah.
0: So, Rhett Talbot is the uh, host of the uh, Beyond Data podcast. For people who want to keep up, he's great. He was on our show last week. He did a whole, like, deep, like, he's like a real news guy.
1: Yeah, 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 he's he's a journal like he is the authentic like classic. I'm gonna look at both sides of the story type journalists where you and I were just like we just talk about the news,
0: we don't right? So he he <laughs> he says to me, hey Clay, can I make a news story for you? I'm like, yes, yeah. and then so last week it's this 15 minute like hard hitting investigative journalist news story about about um, about Char, and I'm like, I'm putting it on my mixing it on my show and i'm like this is the only content i've ever put on my show that's like real news and it doesn't belong on my show like it's so good it's beyond yeah. what my show is and i'm surprised you didn't
1: edit in like some jokes halfway through
0: <laughs> i i had to work hard just to like <laughs> put it out there and yeah. let, it, let it ride on its own merit uh, and i oh, and yeah. i and i want more of it so like i'm like oh for sure i mean red's a
1: great red Red provides always great information he's been on my show as well and and i listen to beyond date all the time and it's it's amazing like the the amount of work he doesn't put out podcasts often
0: but when he does they're gold they're well he's such a good writer and 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 you can it really comes through and you can tell he's got he's trained journalist so he's not going to put out crap i mean his first episode was npr it was was npr quality stuff oh for sure you know whereas the rest of us our first episode's garbage
1: oh his first I, episode's I, I, my episode four sixty two was garbage compared to his like oh, man yeah system. it's like it's insane like it, it, there's definitely a different quality in, in terms of what he puts out and 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 it it's just a different style but it's a it's an amazing entertaining style right so totally hey yeah,
0: speaking yeah. of that let's yes. uh let's 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 uh before we do the news Yes. I, I want to talk a little bit about Patreon, which is how our podcast oh, yes. is funded. You're also on Patreon for Speak Up for Blue, aren't you? That's right. Yeah. And for those who don't know, Patreon is basically a, a Kickstarter-style Kickstarter funding style funding for ongoing art projects, right? So if you do a weekly podcast like I do or three-day a week like Andrew does, um, three-day makes you crazy, by the way, Um the, you, you want to get paid for doing the work. And listeners who like our show, we're asking everyone to donate uh, $1 per episode to help keep our show going. That's 4 bucks a month. means nothing to most people, but multiply that over our, our uh, tens of listeners, and we're making some real bank here. and uh, I want, So if you want to check it out, go to patreon.com slash fishnerds, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash fishnerds and click on the the donate now button and you can give us uh, you know a dollar an episode 4 bucks a month and it makes a big difference if every listener did that Andrew, this is I did the math on this the other day. Yeah. If all, if all my listeners would would do that. $1 an episode, $4 a month. Um not only could I quit my job but I could send my kids to college someday. That's amazing. So if my kids don't go to college it's our listeners fault for not giving me a dollar. <laughs> so you bastards. <laughs> how dare you? How, bad dare, listener. how dare you not give God, me a dollar? So loyal, but they don't want to see your kids. Oh, come take, take, take. <laughs> you know What about my kids? My kids are going to be dumb because <laughs> of you. There you should go. put, like, a,
1: a picture on the Patreon of your kids, like, doing a We're sad... With a
0: dunce act. cap. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love it. Like, we can't go to college because uh, of you. <laughs> hey, uh, speaking of smart people, I there are th- we have three new patrons this month. Ooh, there we I go. I know. I want to... Uh, Courtney D. from Louisiana. I want to thank her hey. for some money. There we go. Uh, Anthony DiPolito. I don't know where he's from, but he gave us money. And Arcelia, Arcelia Vines. Um, gave us money. She actually lives in uh, in my town, and I see her at the Cumberland Farms where she works every week. And it's so weird to bump into people who listen to your show.
1: Isn't that crazy?
0: Because they know you better than you yeah. know you. Like, oh, yeah. The, yeah. And they can recognize uh, you by your voice. Damn. Oh, man. It's so weird. It's so weird. Yeah. I mean, walk in and my daughter goes, Dad, I think you're famous because she knew who you were. I'm like, I know. It's so wacky. <laughs> your daddy um, is- But really cool. Uh, If you give us $5 an episode, we're going to give you a Fish Nerds hat. Uh, At $25, you can be a Fish Nerds show sponsor. That's our level, sponsorship level. You don't get a full commercial, but we'll mention your your website on the show. And our friend Josh Lopes at lopestax.com pays us that much money. And so I just said lopestax.com. I made $25. (laughs) And, And we appreciate it. And actually, he's gotten customers from just that little bit of money. Awesome. And that it's a hundred dollars a month. That's a lot of money for most people. If you, but if you're a, a huge business tycoon like Josh Lopes at lopestalks.com, you could afford it. Yep. But if you can't afford that, you can afford a dollar an episode. Just skip Starbucks for one day. As I was just about to say. One day. Say,
1: that's that's yeah. cheaper than a Starbucks coffee.
0: And way more fun. All right. So way that's patreon.com slash fish Give us a freaking dollar. Save my kids from being dumb. Uh, and we all win. All right, Andrew, how about some fish in the news? Let's do it. News, news, fish in the news. Everybody loves
1: their fish in
0: the news. All right, you're supposed to say, I love fish in the news. I love fish in the news. So. All right, and, and everyone loves fish in the news. I love fish. So that's my job, it's fish in the news. I know, A special thanks to Diana's Bath Salts for our fish in the news music. Hope you enjoyed that. Um, I did. <laughs> <laughs> all right. and Andrew, you picked the stories this week. I did. I kinda it was kind of funny because I was like, oh, there's some really
1: great stories that that have to do with with fish and, and oceans and stuff. So I was like, maybe I'll put on you because you say, hey, add any notes that you want. So I'm like, oh, I'm gonna take over this show. And I'm gonna Why go not
0: stories that I like Why not? I'm burned out. I'm I'm 197 episodes deep. There I'm, you go. I'm five years in. I don't have any ideas anymore. I'm done. Cool. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna put a pitch.
1: If people want have a podcast and they want me to do the show notes, I will do the show notes. I will <laughs> prepare a great podcast for you with great stories. That's that's yeah. what I do, you know. So I what heard, you, what
0: that, do you call a wine guy at a restaurant? The Seminoli? seminole. You like just, the news Seminoli. There I am. I'm um, saying it wrong. I
1: know I'm saying it wrong. Probably, but it sounds good to me because I yeah. don't know what it's called. So I'm just like, yeah, I'll take that.
0: Yeah, I'll take it for it. Sure. For you. All right, so yeah. the first story you brought me is from Bloomberg Business Week. So, all you business people out there, this is for you. Uh, the fighting has begun over who owns land drowned by climate change. Mm-hmm. Uh, America's coastal cities are preparing for legal battles over real estate that slips into the ocean. This goes back to our Louisiana talk a few minutes ago. Yeah, exactly. Look at this. It's all, it's all related. See, this is how good I am. This is yeah. how
1: good I am playing show.
0: So on April on April morning in 2016, Daryl Carpenter, a charter boat captain out of Grand Isle, Louisiana, took some clients to catch redfish on a marsh pond that didn't used to exist. Uh, coastal erosion and rising seas are submerging a football field worth Louisiana land every hour. Is that true? Every hour? Mm-hmm. Is there enough land where you can lose that much an hour?
1: Uh, Craig, it it, it Craig, depends on like how the winds are coming, but yeah.
0: Yeah, uh, so so what happened? I mean, I read the story already. Um, what happened is he was out there fishing. A boat pulls up next to him and says, "Hey, buddy, you're trespassing." Uh, and and then that person called the sheriff's office, who then arrested Carpenter for mm-hmm. trespassing on the property. And that goes into the question: If property's underwater, is it property? That's exactly. If you owned it at one point, is
1: it property? And just name the people who own the property the Castex Energy an energy company an oil and gas company owned the property and and that's what makes it interesting remember i talked about the oil and gas how it's a good and a bad thing mm-hmm. you know they'll be happy to cut up a canal near a tribal land just to get out fast but god forbid you know a guy trying to make money by by doing guiding you know, bringing out a couple of clients on a new area to fish because it's overtaken by water. Doing no real harm. Doing no real harm. Well, except for to the fish, which he's torturing. Appa- yeah, apparently he's torturing, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> some, fish. He <laughs> to torturing some fish. But yeah. under state under Louisiana state law, that anything that was taken over by by water permanently, um, that was previously uh unnavigable uh swampland, uh is fine. It is yeah. is public property. And so this sheriff, uh, probably under the influence of this oil company, I'm, I'm gonna guess, uh, arrested uh, Carpenter and, and Carpenter sued the sheriff's office and uh, Castex Energy because he's like, look, like this is this is ridiculous.
0: You and know? he lost. And he lost. He, lost. he lost. Yeah, because yeah. because they had better lawyers. They had better lawyers. Yeah, it comes down to money, right? It's it who does. Has the most amount of money. Now, most states in the United States have water rights rules where you can't own water. Exactly. And and New Hampshire, for example, is a good example of that. You can any body of water. If you get, if you're in the water, you are not trespassing, right? And that's and that, the same laws in Louisiana, exactly. But they're yeah. saying I owned it before it got flooded, therefore it's mine. Exactly. Uh,
1: and now and, what's what's interesting too is is how is this going to affect people who own land, like individual landowners, mm-hmm. right? Where they ha- they you know spent let's say a hundred to two hundred thousand, maybe three hundred thousand, maybe. A million dollars on their property and then it gets taken over by water and then you have oil companies who are going to use that as as canal systems but you don't want oil companies to like bring their supply boats and everything out in front of your house right now in water on because it's on stilts or it's, it's it's just above water you know so you lose all that land you lose all that that property are you going to get paid out for it? Is the government going to reimburse you because it didn't do a good enough job to hold out the water, or natural ca- causes just kind of come in and take over? Like this is a big, big problem that that people don't really think about when we talk about you know this type of flooding and, and losing land.
0: Well, I, I think the the fact that the oil company, uh, the power company, won that that's a dangerous precedent too because precedent. Uh, it's really scary. And it, what what I my prediction is always going to be. If you have uh, a lot of money, you're going to get what you want. <laughs> and if you're the if you're, you're working hard uh, and have no money, but you're working really hard, you're screwed. Yep. And that's the the reality of this whole thing.
1: It is, and that's the yeah. that's the shame, and that's the again a disadvantage of with when you have oil companies working in your area and and you rely so much on them. Um, but this is a this is going to be a big legal problem that's not just going to be. Uh, isolated in, in, in Louisiana or this case uh, this is going to have a lot of repercussions throughout the country and, and, and
0: North America. Yeah, man, it will be interesting to see how it comes out uh, in the future. And, the, and I wouldn't be shocked to see the laws change. I agree. You know, I mean, if you're, let's say you are a rich person, perhaps a president uh, of some sort, and you own a lot of golf courses, say on islands. Yeah. And you start noticing you're losing your land and people are able to go fishing on it or do other things on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe you leverage your power to change the rules so that that water now becomes part of your property, and you've just you've just changed it over, and now anyone has to pay you to access that section of water. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't be shocked. I wouldn't just be shocked. Mean, I would
1: also. I would not also be shocked to see a state get exempt from having oil and gas lease plots being sold in said state because it will ruin the view of specific hotels that are owned by powerful rich people. Like presidents? Uh, potentially, potentially. Theoretically. Uh, theoretically. Well, I, <laughs> I, guess they
0: don't theoretically don't,
1: yeah, I guess they're kind of away from it now, but probably after their presidency is over, they'll well, probably sure. get the money that they made. Uh, and so, yeah, one state will get exempt uh, and, and not the others because the view is not as nice, I guess. Um, so yeah, that's I find that interesting as well.
0: Yeah, it'll be it'll be well we'll follow up and we'll see how it comes out yeah, all this. Yeah. Uh, we maybe not I don't know. In four uh, years. <laughs> yeah, in four more <laughs> years. I yeah. yeah, I mean I I think we're going to be disappointed in a couple of years. Uh, all right, so, next story f- <laughs> This is from uh, ABC News. Uh, yeah, again, Australian. Australia. Story. This is Australian news, not not America. Right. ABC News. I, yeah. uh, <laughs> Great awesome. Barrier Reef to get $500 million yes. to tackle pollution and breed more resilient coral. Good. I was getting stuff. really tired of wussy coral. So I'm so glad <laughs> that they are are going to breed the resilient kind. You know, like, uh, uh, good day. What kind of coral should we grow? <laughs> Have you thought about resilient coral? No. Yeah. I don't know. sorry you just see like we want that we want the tough coral
1: we want the yeah. the coral that can stand through anything because we are ruining our oceans so we yeah. want the toughest <laughs> coral i just find it interesting so one you know when when you see that title um breed more resilient coral that's really interesting i don't know if we've ever done that before right um i just find that that sentence that phrase breed more resilient coral you don't breed more resilient coral you add uh Phytoplankton that lives in the coral that are more tolerant to higher temperatures. You add more of those in, and I don't even know if you can do that to all the corals. It's, I don't see that really being possible. Maybe in a laboratory, but not in the open ocean. And such a like people. I don't think people realize how big the Great Barrier Reef is. It basically stretches from Vancouver down to the the bottom of California. Right, so that's a pretty big area. We have like six thousand
0: miles, something ridiculous.
1: Yeah. yeah, yeah, and and so you know, just saying, oh yeah, we're gonna brief, we're gonna put five hundred million to do that. That's not even gonna be close to covering it. That'll that'll cover like a small, small area. Not even close to to even a third of that of that area. Now, the the tackle pollution, I think that's really interesting because the one thing that has plagued uh, the Great Barrier Reef, especially the 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 area of the Great Barrier Reef that is close to the coast. So we got to remember barrier reef is is actually along the the continental shelf it's right before the continental shelf dips off so it's away from the coast but there are some um corals and and coral reef systems that are close to the coast and australia over the past i can say two decades maybe even more has just gone through a boom of development along that coastline and so you get a lot of nutrients that are that are uh, deposited just because of more people more waste you get a lot of sedimentation uh, uh you know, uh, coastal development, coastal alteration, sediment is not taken care of properly. So you get sediment that comes over the corals, smothers the corals. It stops it from getting um, getting the sunlight that it needs to that that the phytoplankton need to convert to so the coral skeleton can build a skeleton. Um, and so, so you, you're getting a lot of chronic problems. And for years, for decades, scientists have been saying we need to tackle this. We need to tackle this this water quality issue. Uh, and now they decide to do it once a third of the coral reef is dead. But and at so least they're making
0: for coral. So, like, why don't we yeah, well like, can we look at, like, any kind of endangered animal and just yep. be the tougher version of them. Well, yeah, just inj- inject. Why don't them? you just, hey, panda, toughen up? Yeah, just
1: <laughs> just inject the Hulk uh, gene into exactly. it. Exactly, right? that's, that's, that's right
0: what I'm here. I'm like, ah, we can yeah. make tougher. You know?
1: Disney's going to make them tougher. I'll tell you that. I just hope so. They they they've got the Hulk right, so they're going to look over the genes for that. <laughs> they and do sorry, have the, the Hulk, Hulk right.
0: <laughs> I I by the way, I saw the Avengers. Oh, don't tell Ah, oh, no it spoilers week. here. No, Fishnurch will not spoil it, but I'm going to tell you, yeah. you're going to love every second of it. Oh,
1: I can't wait! I, I take yeah. my daughter out to see it. It's it's a lot of fun.
0: Yeah, um,
1: but anyway, so yeah, getting back to that, I just find because <laughs> the Australian government um, is a very conservative government, and you know now they're trying to save the coral reef because now you got to remember this this the Great Barrier Reef. Brings in six bill, six billion dollars, right? In, in, in the into the economy, we get the so, fisheries,
0: the tourism, snorkeling, uh, uh, you know,
1: scuba diving, boating—like just it's it's insane. Um, and because it takes up such a large area, that it that is just it's just good for the entire coastline and, and the entire country. So now they have to save it. But this is also the same government that allowed and approved uh, dumping of coal mining waste. Into the Great Barrier Reef as these ships were going through. They also allowed, or or I I don't know if it's actually been built, they're allowing a a new port to be built, a new pier to be built to accommodate these massive ships that are going to take this coal mining stuff up in the northern, in the northern Australia, northeastern Australia. And um, so it's also the same government that, and then it's like, oh no, no, we'll just throw money at it and we're going to save the whole thing because a third of it's dead. We'll fix it. Don't worry. They're also going to fight, um, uh, They're putting in money to fight invasive uh, crown of thorns starfish. Uh, this is a starfish that eats coral. Oh, and geez. when you have one or two of them in, in the bare reef, it's not a big deal. It happens. You know, it's part of, part of nature. But every once in a while, you get hundreds of thousands that cover small pieces of reef and, and literally eat the whole thing.
0: Right. What I would do is chop them all up and throw them back in the ocean. That's what you yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I might just cut them up.
1: Just cut them up. Just rip yeah. their arms off. They'll they'll yeah. never be able to handle that. Nothing
0: they can do. <laughs> yeah. No, no. Uh,
1: just uh just to, to be all all ex- explanation. I'm gonna explain that because they regrow their arms and they,
0: <laughs> yeah, they don't want that to happen. Yeah, you have um, a lot of clones happening there.
1: Yeah, you'd have a lot of clones happening. Uh but the, so they think they can throw money at it and they can literally just pick them off. That's their way of, of getting them off because you can't put Chemicals in because you're going to kill the reefs. The reefs are very sensitive to any kind of water quality change. But uh,
0: now you need, that you're going to breed, need to find a way to out. add value to those stars. So if if there was like a collectible, like if 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 they became a the new Beanie Babies,
1: I'll tell can, you. You know what? It's possible because I'll tell you these things are kind of cool looking. There's a, beautiful. There's, there's the the red one, uh, Crown of Thorns, and then the, what they call it the, in the aquarium industry, the chocolate chip. Uh, uh, starfish, the most and, delicious uh, of all. Starfish. It is. It's it's tasty. Yeah. Don't eat it. Don't eat it. I don't know. <laughs> it's Australia. I don't know what can kill you in Australia.
0: Everything. Everything will kill you. I'm never going there. Screw that. Exactly. Yeah.
1: Um. But yeah. So anyway. So so that's what's happening in Australia. Um. The government decides I'm going to throw 500 million at this this thing that that decides that that brings in six billion dollars, and I think it's going to be okay. Now, I'm not. I'm not complaining here. $500 million for any kind of environmental uh, entity is a very good thing, but it's not going to fix the Great Barrier Reef the way we think it's going to fix the Great Barrier Reef. So, um, you know, it's a big problem. There's some articles that say that it could lose a billion dollars in tourism money and, and whatnot. So, you know, let's, let's maybe throw in some more money at it. Let's not approve things that can cause worse things. Uh, Worst things to happen to to corals in the Great Barrier Reef and let's let's get let's get back onto tasks and let's protect one of your big industries you know. yeah
0: I tell you what I like about this story <laughs> I like what it shows me when you look at this like a uh, government getting involved from money and stuff and not always making sense and this is Australia who we look at as like the the like ah the greatest people ever or yeah, i I, right. I like it's an equalizer It shows that all governments potentially can do dumb stuff. And so you feel okay. Well, that's all right. You know, like, we're not the only ones with dumb government. (laughs) Other people have dumb government,
1: too. I feel like all governments are
0: are dumb. They are dumb
1: decisions. Yeah. Some Uh, more than others.
0: Some way. And variability within, like, different time frames. Yeah. Yeah,
1: for sure. For sure. But, I mean, I, I just find. This government, uh, they're a very conservative government from what I know. Uh, they're very pro into fossil fuels. Uh, I'm not sure if this is familiar to you at all.
0: No, I don't know anything. I know that the toilet's flushed change. in the wrong direction. That's all yeah. I know. Yeah.
1: yeah, denying climate change and all that stuff. Is,
0: I am shocked that people are still denying climate change. God, I, I find it. that so surprising. and it's—it's it's the, they're, they're the flat earth people. Like They're just the same. Yeah
1: they are it is true and they come up with everything now, like the new one that I love is will people breathe out carbon dioxide
0: true story that's actually true
1: and, 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 and that's causing us the, now overpopulation is causing
0: climate change well that's the whole premise of the Avengers uh, Infinity Wars uh, that's it that's the movie you just, they have the answer just spoiled it Ah, the whole. that's the plot now I can't go watch it yeah, forget it <laughs> that's all I'm giving away Your millions of listeners (laughs)
1: cost Disney so many millions of dollars. At
0: what point can we start talking about things?
1: You know, Uh, movies. Yeah. I say, depending on the size, depending on the, like the, the strength of the movie and how, and and, you know, how many people watch it. I think like for Avengers, I would say after like in public, I would say after like three (laughs) or four weeks. In public. Yeah. Keep keep your pants on. We're not talking about it yet. Yeah. Yeah. You can't give it a month. You like yeah. you can't say it like in a coffee shop. You like you have to whisper or maybe even
0: write it down. Like, nobody is. I've not seen one spoiler anywhere on this. No, and it's shocking because everyone's already seen it because it's the biggest movie ever.
1: I do know something happens. Like big things happen, and I know I'm not going to say it.
0: Well, you could read the comic books. I mean, the the, the storyline yeah. exists already. You're not making not it's making anything new up. But
1: it's like games, of, Game of Thrones, right? Yeah. Before before season six, was it six? Yeah, you know everybody knew what was going to happen, but I didn't read the book, so I didn't know what was going to happen. <laughs> There's a book, so, and people are like, "Yeah, people are like, well, didn't you read the book?" I'm like, "No, I didn't read the book. If I read the book, I wouldn't watch the show. I like, would. Why would I do that? Because it, you know it always ruins it. But, um, but yeah, no, I I, uh, I I I genuinely hate spoilers, and I don't listen to anything. Um, I think the only time it is hard to avoid spoilers is when you're watching like a sporting event that night and you're PVRing it and then you like, cause you're, you're, you're doing something else. And then you go home and you try and watch the entire game. And the whole time, you know, you turn the radio off. So you don't hear the score. You turn your phone off. So nobody like texts it to you. And then when you get home, you know, one of your kids who never watch sports decides to tell you that all of a sudden they found out what the score is and they tell you what the score is. It's wow. never happened to me before. And I'm not
0: bitter. You're very specific. I'm- <laughs> but I have, I have no idea what the hell you're talking about. <laughs> I, I don't watch sports. So <laughs> I don't know about that. All
1: right, we
0: have to move and ra- wrap this show up. Uh, so, so that's it. You've
1: listened to a bunch of fish nerds when you should have been fishing.
0: We'd like to thank our families for supporting us while we podcast, go on fishing quests and do all the silly things that nerds do and make no bones about it. Andrew, you are a nerd. Uh, we're happy to have you. Special thanks to you. Um, and uh, you can find Andrew's podcast at speakupforblue.com. That's right. And, of course, we'll put links at fishnerds.com. Really appreciate you coming on the show, helping us co-host this week, bring us some real conservation talk, which we desperately need more of on this show. Uh, and so we appreciate it. So,
1: I, I love doing it. I love doing it. So until next time, follow the code of fishnerds.
0: Spawn early and often. Avoid free lunches with strings attached and swim against the current every chance you get done Perfect. made a podcast
1: that's awesome I like yeah. these last little things it's so funny <laughs> I like avoid free lunches with strings attached uh, you've know, been
0: using them for so many episodes and I still have not memorized them
1: I know. So. <laughs> you know what's funny